Welcome to the Adventure Church Podcast. For more information about Adventure Church, please visit our website at adventurechurch.tv. Now prepare your hearts for a message from God's Word. Today we're, we're starting a brand new series that will take us the next five weeks up to Easter called Stand. And this series is going to be uh, kind of going through the book of Daniel, the story of Daniel and his life and what has happened. And in our world today, sometimes it's uh, challenging to stand on the principles and the beliefs that we have in God's Word. It can be very challenging with the resistance and the pressure that we face from the culture that we live in. But God has called us to take a stand when it comes to certain things in our lives and and in our relationship with Him. And so over this series, we're going to talk about how do we stand out in the right ways at the right time and for the right reasons. In the right ways the right time and for the right reasons. Because if we do this and we make a stand at the right time and the right way and for the right reason, it can really change the direction of our entire life. It can change the, 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 the direction and the trajectory of, of where we're heading and the destination that God has for me and you and the plan for our lives. And however, though, if we tend to compromise when God has called us to stand, it can also cost us big and take us on a detour away from God's destiny and God's plan for our lives. And so this series today is going to be, we're going to talk about how do we stand out in the right way, and then over the upcoming weeks, we're going to look at the life of Daniel the prophet and how he stood up for what was right. And so that'll be next week, stand up. The next week after that will be stand for. How do we stand for what matters most? How do we stand in faith and prayer during difficult times? And how do we stand firm? against the fire and the opposition. So I'm really excited about this series. I really believe it will be very relevant to the world and the culture that we're living in today and relevant to your relationship with the Lord and the plan that he has for your life. So we're going to lay the foundation a little bit today and talk a little bit of how Daniel stood out and made a stand for God. If you want to turn uh, in your Bible, if you actually have one, to Daniel chapter 1 is where we're going to spend most of the time today. If you have the Bible app, you can do that. Even better, you can open up the Adventure Church app, and all the notes in Scripture will be in there as well on the screen. But let me give you a little bit of background what was happening there. Uh, there was a guy named King Nebuchadnezzar. Let's just call him King Neb. Is that okay? Let's we'll call him King Neb. And, and King Neb was in power and he was an evil, evil dude. He was just kind of very, uh, he was the king of Babylon, and he was very uh, just evil in what he did. And so he went to Jerusalem where God's people were, and he destroyed Jerusalem. But he didn't just destroy it, he burned down their temple. So the place that they had built to worship God, he burned it down. But he didn't just even burn down the temple. It said that he took like the religious symbols that they had that represented Yahweh, and he actually broke and destroyed every symbol. He was trying to obliterate their belief in God and turn them to, to, the, to his God and the pagan gods that he served. Then, not only did he destroy their city, he then took captive the very brightest and best young men that they had. So he said, not only am I destroying your present, I'm going to try to destroy your future. The smartest people, the leaders in the next generation, I'm going to take them captive and take them back to Babylon. So he takes them back, and Daniel happened to be one of those guys. And he had three friends, all right? Shadrach, Meshach, 
and Abednego. Some of you who grew up in church, you're like, hey, I remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, man. But there's actually a lot more to their story. And in Daniel chapter 1, we see that he's taken them. And in Daniel, Daniel chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, it says, the king ordered Ashpenaz. How many of you are glad that your name is an Ashpenaz? I know I am. Thank you, mom and dad, for that. Uh, it said, in the chief of his, it was, he was the chief of his court officials, and to bring in the king's service some of Israelites, some of the Israelites from the royal family nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in, in the king's palace. I'd like to think I would have been chosen for that group. It said he was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians, and then the king assigned for them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and then after that, they were going to enter the king's service. So again, King Neb was an evil dude, and he was very intentional here. We can sometimes just read through a story in scripture like Daniel and not really pay attention to some of the facts that are really important to the story. So he was being very intentional with these young men, these young leaders, these bright guys to indoctrinate these young men into the Babylonian culture. He was trying to take them away from the culture that they had, away from the God that they were serving and bring them in and indoctrinate these young men into the new way of thinking. So he's trying to change the way that they thought by putting new literature and new information in them, the way they behaved and the way that they believed. He wanted to change all of those things. And today, I think what we have to realize is, is this kind of mirrors the culture and the world that we live in. That King Nebuchadnezzar was an evil guy, but how many of you know that, that we have an enemy? The Bible says that there is an enemy, the devil, who was out to destroy you and me. He is the enemy of our soul. He does not want you to succeed. He does not want you to follow God's plan. He does not want you to take a stand where it matters most. He wants you to compromise. He wants you to fall in kind of the, in line with the ways of this world and just go with the flow of those things. And what we have to realize is, is that we're under attack. This mirrors his strategy. The enemy wants Christ followers to think, to behave, and to believe in agreement with what he wants, in agreement with the ways of this culture, instead of following the ways of Jesus and the ways of his word. Instead of us infecting our culture with the love and the hope of God, the devil wants the culture to infect you, to pull you away from the plan that God has. It says that his goal is to to steal, to kill, and to destroy the work of God in your life. We have to realize that. We can't just go through the world blinded by things and just trying to hide from the, bo- the boogeyman. We've talked about that here before in different series. We can't just pretend and put up blinders like, all right, everything's fine in the world. It's not fine. Things are not fine in our world. The things that you see on television, the things that the world is bombarding you with, the, the, the pressures that you face and the corporate culture that you work within, everything is not the way that it used to be and we can't just pretend that it's not. We have to learn how do we take a stand in the right way the right time, for the right reasons. Because here's what we have to realize, is that to truly serve Jesus the way that he calls us to serve him, to truly follow him the way that he wants us to follow him, it's impossible, and hear me clear this morning, it's impossible to be a sort of Christian. It's impossible. You can't just be a sort of Christian, or maybe what we would call like a cultural Christian, a casual Christian. It's, it's those who believe in God. Sure, I believe. We've, we've talked about those statistics before. 80% of Americans believe in God, would actually identify as a Christian. 
saying, hey, yeah, my parents took me to church, I, you know, Easter, Christmas, the Christers, and, 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 you know, in our culture, hey, yeah, I believe, I identify with that, but hey, you know, culturally, hey, you know, if, if it's cool for them, it's cool with me. I'm just, I'm just trying to be as, as clear as I can that that you can't follow Jesus, you can't take a stand the way that Jesus calls us to stand in this world. He's called us to stand out. He hasn't called us to blend in, he's called us to stand out. So if you blend in, if you don't look any different than the world around you and the people around you, you really got to go back to the basics and go, am I really following God the way that he's called me to follow him? Because if you are, you'll never blend in, you will stand out. And we can see this in Scripture when Jesus called his disciples out from the world to follow him. Men that had jobs, that were sinners, that had reputations, tax collectors, all these kind of guys who had reputations that weren't very good, who had definitely were in, in line with the, the ways of the world at that time and in the culture that they were living in. And Jesus calls these men out to follow him. And this is what he says later to them in Matthew chapter 16, verses 21, and then verses 24 through 26. He said this, From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders and the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. So Jesus is telling them, look, I got to go back to Jerusalem. And the disciples were saying, you can't go back to Jerusalem because if you go back there, those religious leaders who've been trying to kill you, they're finally going to do it. They're ready to kill you. And Jesus said, look, you, you need to understand, I am going to go back. They are going to kill me, but on the third day, I'm going to rise again. So he does give them a, a promise of hope. But then he says this to his disciples. He says, so here's the deal. that I'm going to go back. They're going to kill me, and, and I'm going to raise from the dead. And then verse 24, he says, and if any of you wants to be my follower, follow Jesus. If any of you really wants to follow me, it says you have to turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. Where was Jesus going again? What was he going to do? He was going to die. He just told him he was going to die, that he was going to sacrifice his life. And he says, so if you, want to, if you want to be my follower, you're going to have to follow me. What he was saying is you're going to have to follow me even to death. It goes on to say this. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your very soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? See, a lot of times we can read this passage. Many of you have heard this before, and we take it figuratively. I have to die to myself, you know. Got to go to church, you know. Got to kill, my, kill myself. I'll get up on Sundays. Jesus, I'll, I'll, I'll go to church. Oh, man, they've been begging for volunteers and the kids, two services. Got to lose my life to save it. I'll change those diapers, Lord. I'll do it for you. Right? We, we think of that figuratively, like, hey, i got to die this thing. And there's, there's a part of our life that we need to die to our flesh. And the Scripture tells us that there's other things that we need to die to in our lives. But what we have to remember in this passage is this wasn't figurative. It was literal. Jesus was literally telling his disciples this. I'm going back to Jerusalem, and they're going to murder me. They're going to kill me. And if you follow me, they're going to kill you too. You in? All of the 12 disciples, all of them were murdered, martyred for their faith. Like we're seeing in Egypt with ISIS and all these different things going around. These men beheaded at the knife of uh, an extreme Islamic group terrorist. 
That's what these men faced. That's what people in our world are still facing today. They don't take this figuratively, like I got to show up and go to church. No. When, when, when faced with, they, they chose to follow Jesus unto death. And all of these, except for one of the disciples, were, were martyred for their faith. And they tried to kill him. They threw him off a building and he, he miraculously survived. All of them willingly followed Jesus unto death. They stood out. They took a stand for what they believed. And so this is still happening today. People, Christians all over the world are, are killed, martyred for their faith in Jesus. For us in America, we're blessed. We don't have to fear for our life to follow, to stand out for Jesus. But what we have to realize today is that you can't just blend in when you follow Jesus. And if you are blending in, you're not really following him to the level of obedience that he requires for you. Because if you're truly following Jesus, you will stand out. So how do we do that? How do we stand out? In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 through 13, Paul talks about the armor that God gives us so that we can take the stand. He says, put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Put on the full armor so you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, when you're faced with the opposition, you will be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, stand. What is the armor of God? It talks, he goes on to explain that. It's the belt of of truth. It says you put on the belt of truth. Now this is figurative, okay? You, you put on the belt of truth. What is, where do we find the truth of God? In his word. The truth of God is in his word. That you guard your, you put on the truth of God. You stand for the truth of God. The body armor of God's righteousness where we go, I'm not saved because of my work. I'm saved because of his work. So I can stand even though I'm a sinner, even though I do fall short, even though I do compromise, I can stand in the righteousness of God. It says put on shoes that come from the peace of God, the good news, so you'll be believed. The good news of Jesus, the gospel, the hope. It says put on shoes of peace. It says in addition to all these things, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Faith to say, it doesn't matter what the devil throws at me because greater is he that is in with me than he's in the world. It doesn't matter if I get fired for taking my stand. Greater is he. God is my provider that we stand in faith with the shield of faith. And then it says, put on salvation as your helmet. That I've been saved. I've been through the grace of God. That I'm saved. That my salvation is secure in him. And it says, then take the sword of the Spirit. The only offensive weapon that is described as the Word of God. It says take the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. We fight back, we defend, we protect. But when you take your stand, you take your stand with the Word of God. It says that's how you get prepared for the battle that we're living in, to stand out. Simply today, we have to realize that Jesus has called us to stand out and not to blend in. In 1 Peter 2, 11, he actually referred to us as aliens. It said, Beloved, I urge you as aliens. Look at your neighbor and say, you an alien. Maybe it's this one's better. As aliens and strangers. Say, you're strange. Look, if you're, if you're truly following God, I'm just being honest with you. If you're truly following God, culture, world, political correctness, whatever you want to call it, you're going to look different. They're going to call you strange. Oh, there they go again. Yeah, they always walk out of the room when we start talking about that at work. Yeah, whenever we start gossiping, she always walks away. You're going to look different. If you truly follow God the way he wants, you are going to stand out like a sore thumb. And you should. Not in a weird way, 
but in a way that, that, that represents Jesus and the values that he has. And this is what Daniel did. In Daniel chapter 1, verse 6 through 7, it said that the king had assigned them a daily ration of food. Remember, he's trying to integrate them into their culture. He's trying to raise these men up and to, to, to serve in his service. And says, so he, he assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter in the royal service. Verse 6, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azirah were the four young men chosen from all the tribe of Judah. The chief staff rem- uh, renamed them with Babylonian names. Daniel was called Bela Teshazar, Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, and Azariah was called Abednego. So here what we can find is, is, is some interesting things here. Why did they change their names? Why did they say we're going to... At, at this time, they, they said that these boys, these were young, young boys. They were 12 to 15 years old is how old Daniel and his friends were in this time. They were middle schoolers, Okay. So if you've got middle schoolers sitting around, you go, this is who he was addressing. This is who he's dealing with. The faith of Daniel, these stories, was coming from a a, a teenager. And so we find this, that these boys of this age, they're taken a thousand miles away from their home. And what we have to realize is, is in their culture, the significance of their names tied them to Yahweh, to the one true God. It tied them to Yahweh. It meant something to their history. It meant something in their relationship with God and the God that they served and the religion that they had. And so, again, King Neb was trying to steal. He's trying to rip that identity away from them. He didn't want them to have any part of Yahweh anymore. He didn't want them to have any part of their past. And so he's stripping them of their names. So he changed their names that tied them to Yahweh and gave them new names that actually tied them to the foreign and the pagan gods that they served. So every time someone said their new name, it was reinforcing the identity that the king wanted them to have. It's changing things. Then they changed their diet. The food and the wine that they were eating was dedicated to foreign gods, sacrificed. So Daniel knew that if they ate of this, they would be defiling themselves against Yahweh. This would violate his beliefs in God. It would violate his values and this is where Daniel drew the line this is where he took his stand what I want to realize today and I want you to realize is is that taking a stand isn't about making a statement sometimes we get it confused remember we're talking about how do you take a stand for the right thing at the right time for the right reason but many people take a stand for the wrong things at the wrong time and for the wrong reasons We've all interacted with him. We're talking about that in just a second. So what we realize is, is Daniel didn't fight back when they took his name. When they took his name, he said, you can call me whatever you want. Call me whatever you want. That doesn't change what's going on in here. I'm not going to fight back when you take my name. But when, but when you go against my belief in God, so Daniel didn't take a stand for his name, for his agenda, for what he wanted to push, but when they tried to push his values and, and, and push him away from his God and, and to cause him to go against what he believed in his God, he didn't take a name for his name, but he did take a stand for God's name. He said, all right, I've got to draw the line somewhere. I can't eat that. It will defile me in the sight of my God. I can't go against what I believe. A lot of people stand for the wrong things at the wrong time for the wrong reasons. And so taking a stand isn't about making a big statement. It's about 
making a stand for the values that you have. Daniel 1.8, it says this, but Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. And he asked the chief of the staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. I think we can learn something else from Daniel here. It's not about making a statement. It's not about standing outside of an abortion clinic. It's not about standing down on campus with a bullhorn. Those people are making statements. They're not taking a stand for values. They're making statements to people. They're condemning people. They're judging people. We, we don't find that in Scripture. Daniel didn't make some big stand. He didn't make some big hoopla. He didn't draw attention to himself. He made a simple, predetermined decision. I'm not going to do what they want me to do. I'm not going to compromise when it comes to this thing. And I think we can learn that, that we have to make predetermined, predecided resolutions of what we will do and what we won't do when it comes to the ways of this world, to the culture we live in. Before the food ever got there, before it was ever placed in front of him, he said they, they, this was the plan. He said, look, hey, tomorrow you're about to bring, I can't eat that food. Before it ever got there, he made a decision, I'm not going to eat that. What we have to realize as believers is that predetermined decisions will lead us to our destiny in God predetermined. you got to decide ahead of time. you got to decide before the moment that the opposition comes, where do you draw the line? Where do you make a stand to stand out? Your success will be determined on what you have decided ahead of time. So you have to predetermine what you do not want to do. Predetermine what you do not want to do. You used to party and get drunk. I'm not going to bars anymore. I'm not going to hang out with people that do. I can remember in high school when, when I was beginning to follow Christ and really surrendering to the plan and the purpose that I felt that he had for me to, to be a pastor and to go into ministry. And I would, you know, my, I, would, I would get to a certain point in the night with my friends. And I would say, hey guys, love you man. You're my boys, you always will be, but I got to go. Can't go there. Can't do that. And, and they, after time, began to to realize, and I can remember one time, and this was probably close to the end of high school, maybe even right after we got out, and I was hanging with our friends, and we were out to eat somewhere, and, and uh, they were talking about what they were going to do, and I said, hey, what, what are you guys doing? Where, where are we going? And they just looked at me and said, hey, you're not going to want to go. Where we're going, you're not going to want to go, dude. We, we know where you're at. We know where you stand. And look, I didn't always do it right. But in that moment, I, I, it was a simple, predetermined thing that I had decided, now that I'm, I'm following God, now that I'm committing my life to ministry, I can't just do the things that I used to do anymore. Because that doesn't represent the God that I'm trying to serve, the message that I'm trying to convey with my life. And so I had to draw the line and say, I can't do that. It was a predetermined decision. It was a small thing. It wasn't a statement. I wasn't going, ho, 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 wait a minute, fellas. You know the path you're going down is leading you to destruction just said, hey, look, man, I can't go. And eventually they began. And what, what's, what's awesome is, is down the road, a few years later, they'd come back to me. They'd run into me and they'd go, hey, man, how's it been? You know what? I've never told you this. I, numerous people, I always respected you. You didn't just compromise. You, you made a stand sometimes. I respect you for that. And that, that went far with, with people who were in the ways of the world that didn't necessarily agree with what I was doing. They said, I respect you for for." what you believe. It's not about making a statement. It's just about taking a stand. And when we stand on God's values and principles, 
Those things can go a long way. Not going to gossip at work anymore. Predetermine what you're not going to do. When they begin to talk about those things, they begin to talk about the boss and the break room. I'm walking away. I'm not going to engage in intimate conversations with the opposite sex anymore because I don't, I don't even want to give the hint that something else is going wrong. I'm not going to engage in conversations with, with females of the opposite sex like on, on Facebook anymore. I've I got to honor my relationship to my wife. I'm not going to allow the hint. It's just I'm, I'm taking a stand. It's a predetermined choice. These are things I will do and I won't do. Remember in youth ministry, Jess and I were engaged. We, we hadn't got married yet, and I'd taken a new job in Springfield, and my associate at the time was, was, was a woman. And we would have to go to the same meeting at the same place. And there, there was nothing going to happen there, okay? Everyone knew nothing, nothing going to happen there. Everyone, there was no issues with that. There was, and so, but when we would go to a meeting to, to go meet with the same person at the same place, we would drive two separate cars. It's like, I can't. I can't be seen driving in my car with another woman. I'm not married yet. I'm married, you know. So we just predetermined for her sake and for my sake. And now, again, my standard, I'm a pastor. I've got to be really careful. But that was just a predetermined decision. So predetermine what you won't do, but then you also need to predetermine what you do want to do. Where do you want to stand? Say, I'm, I'm going to be committed to church. I know my neighbors don't go to church. I know people think I'm crazy that I go to church when there's a level two snow emergency and it's snowing, it's snowing outside and they see me leaving my house. Oh, man, they're crazy. But, hey, I'm committed. I know that I need to hear the word of God. I know that I need to be fed. I know the value of community. I know the difference it's making in my kids' lives. We're making a commitment to be at church. I'm going to be consistent. I'm predetermined to be consistent in reading God's word and understanding his truth and, and having a prayer life. I'm, I'm going to be consistent and predetermined to get in a life group and to submit myself to accountability with other believers as they sharpen me and I, I sharpen them as I confess my sin to them that there's healing, that I'm going to commit. I'm predetermined and I'm making choices. This is where I stand. This is what I will do. We have to decide those things. Daniel had decided what he was going to do. Daniel and his friends stood out, not by making a statement, but at every meal, at breakfast, at lunch and dinner with these other sharp young men that they were training. They ate something different. They stood out, not by making a statement, but by standing for their values and the principles that they had. Then in Daniel, verses 12 through 14, chapter 1, it says, Please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and drink the, uh, and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So again, no big protest, no holding up signs. No picketing, no causing a scene, but with wisdom, they presented a plan while respecting the authority that God had placed above them. You see, I used to think that. I, I grew up in a culture of church sometimes that would, I would get the wrong idea and maybe it was the wrong message being delivered, but I thought like if I was really going to follow God the way that I was supposed to, that I had to take my Bible to high school with me. I had to carry it. It had to be the number one book sticking out that at lunchtime I should probably jump up on the table and start telling people the truth of God's word, that I had to take a stand for God and make this big, bold statement and begin to preach and tell people. But that's not what we see in Scripture. It's not what Jesus did. And in this moment, Daniel, who's 
really, as we will dive into this series, we'll see just what an awesome man of God that he was, what an awesome man of faith that he was. He didn't do it to make a statement. He did the right thing at the right time for the right reason. He took a small stand, and it had a big impact. But he had the wisdom to know. The Bible says that God gave him wisdom to know when to stand, when to stand out for him. So we need to ask God for wisdom. We need to know when it's the right time. We need to know when it's the right thing. We don't do it to make a statement. We stand out because God's called us to be different. He's called us away from the world. He's called us to be different. And if you make a statement as a byproduct, so be it. But we don't do it to make a statement. We do it to be different, to follow God. Because this is what's always cool and what we'll learn throughout Daniel's story is that when it's done the right way in the right time for the right reasons, when you stand out, God will step in. When you take a stand, when you stand out, God will step in. When you stand out, God will show up. Look what he does for Daniel. Daniel chapter 1, verses 17 through 20. Let's remember how evil King Neb was, okay? You guys remember back to that 20 minutes ago? Evil guy. Evil guy. It says this, Daniel chapter 1, verse 17. God gave. They took a stand. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of the literature and wisdom. So they're learning new literature. They're learning a new culture. They're learning a new way of life. And God was giving them supernatural understanding. And it said, And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings and the visions of the dream. And when the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Neb. The king talked with them, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azirah. So they entered the royal service, and whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. God gave them supernatural understanding to interpret what was going on in their culture, to understand when it was the right time to make a stand, when it was the right time to to say something, to interpret a dream and a vision, and God gave them favor with the king in a supernatural way, and we'll, we'll continue to see in the coming weeks how God continues to honor Daniel's faith and the stand that he was willing to make to honor his God. And what we have to remember is this, is that when we are obedient to follow God, When we're obedient to follow what Jesus said, pick up your cross, deny yourself, turn away from this world. You don't blend in, you stand out. And when you do and you take your stand and you follow Christ in obedience to honor his word and the values and the plan that he has for his life, God is always faithful to show up. He'll never leave you hanging. He'll never call it, say, hey, this is the place. You need to draw the line. You need to make your stand. He's not going to leave you hanging out to dry. And throughout this series, we're going to see how God was so faithful to show up in the fiercest opposition that King Neb could throw at these guys. I'm excited to dive into that a little bit more. As the band comes and we close out today, we need to remember, look, you're called to stand out. You're not called to blend in. And we got to really look and examine and go, man, am I, am I just blending in? Maybe I'm not doing anything wrong, but I'm, I'm not standing for what's wrong, but am, am I standing for what's right? Am I standing for the truth and the values that I believe? Am I willing that when I'm faced with opposition, when I'm faced with compromise that could could possibly cost me, am I willing to stand out? Am I willing to, to make my stand for Jesus? 
And then we do it in a way that isn't about making a statement. It's just about honoring God and what he's called us to be obedient to. It's simple truths that Daniel applied, that he lived out. And when we do that, when we have the faith to stand out, to make our stand, God is always faithful to show up. He's awesome like that. I've given this illustration before. He's a good dad, right? Think about that. He's a good dad. Yesterday, Maddox was on the ottoman jumping off. Come on, buddy. Jump. Jump. Do it again, dad. Do it again. Do it again. He could do it all day. I was like four times. I'm tired, dude. You weigh like 40 pounds. I'm wearing out. But if, I, if he jumped, if he trusted me, if he took a step of faith, a leap of faith, you would never drop him. I would never go, hey, buddy, come on. <laughs> gotcha. Right? But we think that way sometimes. We would never do that because we're, we're good parents. We're, we're good fathers. We're good mothers. We'd never ask our kid to do something like that and just watch him fall. No. Jump, buddy. Come on. We catch him every time. Every time. When God asks you to jump, he's going to catch you. He's going to catch you. Take a stand for him. It may cost you in some ways, but when you're honoring God, you're being obedient to him. You're honoring him with your life. His plan, his way is the best way predetermined decisions that you make, this is where I draw the line, will lead you to your destiny, to the plan that God has for you. So where are you at today? What predetermined decisions do you need to make? What are you going to do? What are you not going to do? You need to make up that right now. I'm telling you, it'll be key to your success, key to having victory in your life for Jesus. Because you can't just be a sort of Christian. It's impossible can't blend in, can't adapt to the ways of this world. Peter said, you're an alien. Never seen an alien, but if I did, I think I'd know it. People don't know you follow God. People don't know that you're a Christian. People don't know what you believe. Today, I think we got to really ask ourselves, God, am I standing out the way that you called me to? Am I really being obedient to what you've asked of me with my life? Because we got to take our stand against the devil's schemes. They're not going to stop. Someday it'll end. Jesus will come back. He has the final word. The final victory is ours. We will win in the end. But the battle is never going to stop. He's not going to let up. It's not going to get easier. We said a couple weeks ago, I'm afraid, I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant to even think about the culture that my daughter will be living in when she's an 18-year-old. What will the world be like? We got a teacher. I got a teacher. How do you stand out? These are the principles. These are the values, Riley. You never compromise here. We're called to be different. We're called to stand out. Romans 12 says you don't conform. You transform by renewing your mind. Truth of God, knowing his word. These are the values. These are the principles. This is where we're locked in. So today, if you're here, maybe you would say, I am. I'm that guy. I'm a casual Christian. I believe. I identify with that. I'm not really standing out and I'm not really following God. I blend in more than I stand out. And I don't want to be weird. I don't want to just make some weird statement. I just want to be obedient. I just want to be faithful. I want to surrender to God. I want to surrender to his ways. When you do that, God will show up. He'll give you ultimate victory. So if you would bow your head and close your eyes with me. If you're here and you've never accepted the grace and the love of Jesus, surrendered to his plan for your life he's called you out today just like he called the disciples he's calling you he's saying come and follow me 
It's not easy. God, be willing to lose your life if you really want to save it. But what, what gain is it if you get the biggest house and the best car and the promotions and you forfeit the thing that matters the most to you, your soul? It's the only thing eternal. And Jesus today is calling you to say, give me your soul. Surrender your soul to me. And when you do that, when you make a stand for him, he'll show up in a huge way in your life. And so we don't close any service out at our church without giving people an opportunity who haven't surrendered, who haven't committed to follow Jesus, the opportunity to do that. So if you're here and you're away from God and you know you are, and you need his forgiveness, I just want you to slip up your hand real quick. I want to pray with you. The Bible says when we confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart that Jesus died for us, that there is a better way, and we commit in faith to follow him, that he's faithful to forgive you, to give you a new hope and a future in him and a plan and a destiny that will exceed your wildest imagination. 